I wrote out this week that uh, we must press onward and upward so that our foundation is tried and true and that our understanding is spot on and that our faith is right on in our righteousness. Very interesting. We've been talking a lot about righteousness, but one of the common definitions of righteousness that's beyond understanding the divine nature of God is that it's the best possible attributable qualities. That's how the world would define it. We go beyond that, which we're going to continue to talk about. We want to talk about some of these uh, uh, areas so that we can be right on in our understanding of what the righteousness of God is. A lot of people talk righteousness, and we've heard the message of righteousness for a long time, but people haven't accepted it, and they haven't become righteousness. And unfortunately, we're talking about the vast majority of believers have not received the revelation of the gift of righteousness. It's got to go beyond where it's been, and that's what we're pushing on. I like that statement. Um, when I used to help my father sometimes, when he, he traveled a lot, he was in the military. And one of the things that he liked to do was work on old Studebakers. And uh, parts were getting harder and harder to find. And so he would machine tool something to fit, a bolt, a washer, something that you couldn't go out and just buy at, at Riley's Auto Parts. And uh, they didn't even exist at the time. <clears throat> and when it would go on and it fit, he'd look at me and he'd say, uh, dead nuts, this thing is dead nuts on. And, uh, and then he would be happy because we were able to achieve something that was creational, that wasn't, it, we had to make it happen. We want our righteousness to be dead nuts on. We want our understanding of the righteousness of God, and this is, this is favoring our, our British fellows, to be spot on. We want it to be focused exactly on what God has for us so that we can walk on it and live in it. So that means we've got to do a little weeding in the garden, a little feeding in the garden, and allow what God has fresh and new to bloom and come up in its season. This is the season for the revelation of the righteousness of God to be refreshed and renewed. It's time for the body of Christ to hold on to righteousness of God because we're never going to find it in a political statement. How many of you know that? You know, I had somebody ask me uh, a while ago, just this last week, um, they called me from the west coast of California, and they were asking me about Potash Shield, and I've laid it down for a while because God told me to. We're about ready to pick it back up because God has told me how to do it and what to do. And I couldn't quite understand why, because we had momentum going. And you see in social media and the way people build ministries, when you have momentum, isn't a time to stop. But I'm not moved by that. I have to understand and hear what God says. And sometimes it's so much harder to wait than it is to go. It's really easy to go and keep regurgitating the same old. And so I finally realized in the last month why. And the reason why we, is because too much emphasis has been put on in the political success of this country versus the righteousness success of the body of Christ. And the prophetic word is what helped transform us to have a window of opening back in 2016. But the prophetic word has been quenched. And those that continue to speak out now are just regurgitating the same old, same old, but instead it's for mental assent. It's to be recognized. It's to build a ministry. It's to be part of an in crowd, but that doesn't necessarily mean that that's what God is doing or wants. 
And so he removed me from that political realm to the point that it was snuffed out. And I'm very glad of that as I see it now because now he says, son, it's time for your voice to come out again. But my voice isn't going to come out like it came out before. My voice is going to come out with what the Lord has to say for now. Beloved, the church cannot put its faith in a man. Hear me out. The church cannot put its faith in a man. It cannot put its faith in a political party or a system. It cannot put its faith in a military. And it cannot put its faith in having opposition against those things that are in opposition to the things that we adhere to in those systems. We're so far beyond that. So the voice that needs to come out is one for righteousness. And in order for there to be a righteous nation, it must be from the top down all the way through. And I have something to say to you. We are not a righteous nation from the top down and all the way through. We may never become that nation. What if we don't? We have to look at the one who's coming. We have to prepare the way for the coming of the Lord. We have to be a voice that's above and beyond that statement. And so pray for me because I'm about to tread out into those waters, not because I want to. I sort of enjoyed being silent for a little while. I only got whacked a couple times by the George Soros stuff. They were trying to dig me back out and, and draw me back out, and I wouldn't fall for what they were doing. They went back to old stuff because they just need something to keep throwing on the fire in order to keep their fire going. And the Lord said, be quiet, son, be still. This season is done with. A new season is coming upon us. And so the reason I say that is that the righteousness, the message and the revelation of righteousness to the body of Christ, as old as it should be, is brand new. And I'm beginning to realize that this message is not being brought out from the pulpit. It's not being lived by the hearts of the leadership in the, in, in the body of Christ. The prophets have forgotten the righteousness. And apostles have been based on righteousness, but instead they're based on the success of ministries. God is calling the body of Christ to real righteousness. And it's not a hard work. It's an easy work if we realize who we are and what we are, and he'll do the rest. And so on that basis, I want us to be certain. There's an urban word I like. I don't know how many of you used to use it. I know it's probably a little old now. It used to be shizzle. Remember shizzle? For shizzle. For sure. Shizzle. That's shizzle. You got for shizzle. That's shizzle known to be reliably effective. We want our knowledge of the righteousness of God to be reliable. We want it to be certain. And we want it to be something that's proven and accurate. We want to be right on. And if our consciousness, if our consciousness accepts righteousness, then we're tried and tested. Let me take you to there a moment. There's a phraseology that, that is used all the time. It's tried and true. Let's look at Proverbs chapter 30, verse 5. And I'm going to quote out of the CEB Bible because I like the way it reads. It says, all God's words are tried and true. A shield for those who take refuge in him. All God's words are tried and true. Are we looking for truth in this era where truth is hard to find? Are we looking for something certain when all we are certain about in the world is change? And it's not always good, is it? Are we looking for something tried and true? Well, we know it's in the Word of God. Psalms 18.30, and this is according to the King James, says, As for God, His way is perfect. The Word of the Lord is tried. He is a buckler to all those that trust in Him. 
the buckler was a shield, and it was put on the arm, and it was shielded to the forearm so that you could hold it up. And it was a shield by which you could resist the, the, the throws of the enemy and the onslaught so that you could strike back. It wasn't just for defense only. It was to allow it almost to be if you were a boxer, your left and you were right, your left to go up and to block the punch so you could throw the right. It was a, a meaning that it shields and protects. Well, it says that the word of God is tried and true, and it's a buckler. It's a shield for us. His way is perfect. His word is tried and true. He is a shield for all who take refuge in him. Hosea chapter 4, 6 said this. He said, my people are destroyed for lack of knowledge. And beloved, that's the place that the church, a lot of the church is in right now. How many of you, if you're being honest, and we're not being arrogant, and we're not trying to be partists and say that we're something and other people aren't, Woe, but for the grace of God, there go we. We know who we are. We know we need him all the time in everything that he has and that nothing else matters, that it's really who he is. But we have to admit that we have a dysfunctional body of Christ right now. Who could say it's unified? It's not even unified within its own denominations. It's certainly not unified in the scripture. It's not unified from this part of the world to the other part of the world. And it seems like the bigger that ministries to get, the more they prey on each other, criticize each other, the more they compete for the affection of the body of Christ and for people to follow, then and then said to say, you know what, I'll lay down and you go because you're doing it better. The word you have today is the one for the season. Mine isn't the right one. I'll sit back and wait. We don't see that happening in the body of Christ. What the body of Christ is lacking is a commitment to the righteousness of God and an understanding that the righteousness of God is in us. When the righteousness of God is in us, we get a different consciousness. When we realize it is. Hosea, my people are destroyed for lack of knowledge. Habakkuk 2.4, and we know this was also in Romans 1, 16, 17, and 18, wasn't it? My righteous ones shall live by faith. I discussed this with you last week. My righteous ones, the ones who are righteous, are living in faith. We don't have to have faith to live righteously. We have righteousness to have faith. Do you understand it? And so let me lay this out for you very clearly and succinctly again. I want to go through this with you again. We only come to saving grace of Jesus Christ by faith. There's no other way, right? You can be born. I remember once... I was on a local talk radio program. I think it was Dan Ryan, if I recall. And uh, at that time, I, had the, I was on Salem Radio, and we were on every day, seven days a week. And uh, I had quite a radio following in northern Ohio and western PA, etc. And uh, Salem said we were the most listened to program there was. And uh, they happened to know the background and my zeal as a Christian Zionist. And there was a fellow coming into town and he was looking to get on different news media, and he was being promoted by some local councils and nationally by the, the, the funds that were behind him was the Saudis and the Arab nations, and they were sending him to be a voice throughout America, and somehow he was coming to Youngstown. And so Dan Ryan, which, you know, you could imagine at that time he wanted to have uh, something that would be interesting that would cause his audience to have interest. That's what television and radio does. It's not so much they want to put your message out. They want you to help them bring their ratings up. And so Dan Ryan asked me to be on. I prayed and the Lord said, do it. And as I did, I refreshed my, I had just come off of six months of studying the Quran, and I didn't know why. 
My wife would say I was miserable at night. I had to cleanse myself, purge myself, because that's a demonic book. And I could see why it grabs people when they're in bad places. I could see why there's a huge Muslim infiltration in the prison system. I could see why it grabs people impoverished and why it changes causes into things that are militant and not of God with a semblance of religiosity. There are demons attached to that book and you have to fight. I would not recommend anybody study it unless God tells you to and you're fully strong because you're going to be in warfare. You're going to have tugs coming on on the tenets of your faith. Well, I just finished it because the Lord said to do it. I was happy and then this assignment came up. And I met this man, and we came into the studio, nice enough, we shook hands, I called him a BB, he called me brother, we, you know, we were okay with all of that stuff. And we sat down, and he got introduced. And he introduced himself, he was reading from this little thing that he had prepared. You know, one thing about the radio, it's a blind pulpit. You're speaking to a microphone. You have no idea what the pulpit is, so you get away with a lot of stuff that you're not in front of the, the, the screen on. And he's reading this thing, and I could tell somebody had helped him write it, and he had had it. And he says, listen, he says, I'm both a Christian and a Muslim, so I think that I'm qualified to say these things. And I looked, and I looked at Dan Ryan, and Dan Ryan didn't have a clue. His eyes went up because he realized my button was pushed. And he said, he said, and because of that, and he goes on and he lays out this whole political system about the Jews and the Palestinians and where Jesus would be in it and where Muhammad's in it and all of this stuff. And when he was all done, he took the mic for about 10, 12 minutes out of that program that we had. And then finally, Dan Ryan said to me, he said, Pastor Frank, he said, uh, what do you have to say? What's your response to this? And I said, Dan, I'm absolutely flabbergasted. I have never met somebody that could be both a Muslim and a Christian at the same time in my life. I said, so I'd like to explore that. So Dan goes like this. I said, sir, how are you a Christian? He said, well, my mother is a Christian and, and she's, she, she, uh, she's, a Christ, she's in Christ. I said, what kind of a Christian? And he didn't, couldn't answer the question for me. I said, oh, so how are you a Muslim? Well, my father's a Muslim. I said, I see. So because you were born to a Christian and a Muslim, you're both? He goes, yeah. I said, but they're not the same God. He said, but I think they are. I said, no, they're not, sir. And I began to quote the Koran. And I looked at him. I said, do you know the Koran? He, he started to stutter. And I said, now let me quote to you the New Testament of Jesus Christ. I said, they don't mix. You're either one or the other, my brother. You cannot be both. Who are you? Because everything you've based to us is the credentials that you're both a Christian and a Muslim. And if I can't get past that part, then nothing you present has any credibility to us or to this community. He got angry. He slammed down and he left. I got a phone call an hour later and it said he's coming to talk at the Jewish Community Center. Because the Jews, we like to be liberal, we like to be open, we like to be encompassing, we want to be you know, perceived as people that are, that are tolerant, right? But they got scared. So they had heard it on Dan Ryan and they said, would you please come because we're not sure what's going to happen here. So when I went there and he saw me walk through the door, he slammed his books down and he left. <laughs> and that was the end of that. You see, there's a confusion that's based on ritual and tradition and based on heritage and culture and based on bloodline. But the bottom line is, are you, do you have a consciousness that you're the righteousness of God or not? Or are you just saying it because somebody told you? Do you really know who you are? And do you do things in the body of Christ because other people did them and it seemed right at a season, but... You never really grasp with God to ask him, is that really what it is? And is that what I should do? 
And, and, and just to, to, to leave this at a place where it went, I told you before and I'll say it again, God will meet people at the level of the faith where they're at for a while. I can tell you God was so tolerant of me before I came to him and was questing him in the Torah and doing sacrifices unto him and trying to find him. He was so tolerant of me. And he would meet me and then he'd leave. He would meet me and then he'd be quiet. He would meet me and then he'd be quiet. And after I became a believer and was so confused, and they should have just locked me up for more than a year, for about two, three, four years like Paul did down in Damascus and not let me out because I was a bit of a problem to myself and everybody else. I was trying to sort a lot of stuff out. But God met me at the level of my faith, but I wasn't ever at the place where I was happy where I was out. I was resting. I was pleased. I was building on the foundation, but hungry for more, hungry for more, hungry for more. I want you to understand something. Paul says we must press onward and upward. He said, it's not as if I've already attained, but I'm going to continue to go. The things of God are immeasurably open to everything that we can have or get. We're never going to completely get there, but it's only on us if we quit trying. It's only on us if we quit receiving. It's only on us if we want to put up walls and barriers and say, oh no, I'm not going to go there because I don't know why, but I'm not going to go there. I don't want to listen to that, or I'm not going to receive that, or I'm not going to try that, or I'm not even going to test it in the Word of God. And so we must be able to lay that gauntlet down. And the voice to the body of Christ today is we need to be tried and true and right on in our righteousness of God. We cannot be those who don't understand it. And when we get there, our entire consciousness changes. And that's where I want to pick it back up. We go through a progression, which we're going to talk about in a moment. We want to lay hold of our righteousness because that is the nature of your new creation self. You see, we go through phases, trends, especially now with the media and with so many ministries and so many specialists in so many areas of the world and so many people promoting so many things. And I'm not saying it's bad. And so we all went off on what's your plan and purpose in your life, right? The purpose-filled life. It, you know, the author made $32 million on it. God bless him. He's a good man. Uh, I'm not, it had its time and its season. Other people came in, and it's all about identity. What's your identity? Who are you in Christ? And that was good. We need to know our identity. But everybody fell short. We need faith. We must exercise in faith. You must continue, continue, continue to build your faith, to work in your faith, to grow in your faith. Hold on in faith. Hold on in faith. And that was a good message. But the consciousness didn't change. The consciousness was that we're always a little bit short of getting to where we need to be, so we need to do something else. We need to go one more place. Well, how about let's go to the courts of heaven. And if you bring it up to the courts of heaven, then God's going to adjudicate it. But if you don't, you see, that's the antithesis of that. Maybe you're not getting your answers because you're not going to the courts of heaven. No, we're not getting answers because of the consciousness. If the consciousness says, I need to do one more thing for Christ to be fulfilled and do what he's done for me, then we're putting another God before Christ. Hmm, pastor, that's harsh. No, that's not harsh. Anything that you put before the full atonement, the full restoration, the full fellowship of Jesus Christ is one more hurdle, one more step, and it's religious. Anything that's religious gets in the way of what is God. Amen? So I'm going to build on it. You say, pastor, you're being harsh. No, I'm not being harsh. You know what? 
you have to understand something. I had a point in my life where I can lay down and I can get up and I thank God for that. Now, I've done it multiple times in my life. I laid down a worldwide ministry where 100,000 people was the last place I preached at. So many offers, so many opportunities, laid it down for seven, eight years. Came back up, laid down being in an easy ministry with thousands and thousands of people. And came back here and got rested of God of what he wanted. Laid down a pot of shield that was moving with calls coming because God told me to. I have no problem laying down things of God because dare I walk and it not be the voice and assignment of God because then all I'm doing is promoting myself or promoting a belief system that had its season. So the belief systems that most of the church is stuck in, and I'm talking about the charismatic, spirit-filled, Pentecostal church is stuck in, had a season. The Holy Spirit has moved. But yet there are those that want to hold on to that season, but by so doing, they stop up the move of God in the present now. And God says we're preparing the way for the coming of the Lord. He is doing a new work in the body of Christ. And He's raising up new voices in the body of Christ. And old things are passing away and new things are being made. Now, just because of our age and what we came from doesn't mean we just have to be stuck in what it was. I think of Simeon, who lived to the point where he could see the baby Jesus being, being dedicated in the temple. And at that de dedication, he said, my eyes have seen the fulfillment of what I've been waiting on. Now I can move on. Our eyes need to be looking forward to what the Messiah is bringing. Jesus is coming back. We are called to prepare the way for the coming of the Lord. We are called to be a bride without spot or wrinkle. And beloved, we ain't there. We got to get there. You know, the United States, I love the United States. I have children, a son, a daughter serving right now. I have a son who's most likely going back to deployment again in the worst parts of the world. I have two son-in-laws who've been back and forth and back and forth and back and forth serving. I had a father who dedicated his life to it all of his life. I love this country, but I don't love this country more than I love God. And I'm not going to worship this country more than I worship God. And I'm not going to promote a man more than I promote God. And I'm not going to look for the righteousness in a man because it will never be found unless that man says, I'm the righteousness of God in Christ. And then there needs to be fruit. There's fruit from being righteous. Beloved, don't ignore the fruit. Don't get caught up in personalities and causes. I'm going to just take a little moment. Yes, we need to vote. I believe in voting. You know what I'm voting for? The causes. Hear me out. Abortion needs to stop. Not only here, but all around the world. Gay marriage is not of God. There are many things that aren't of God that are being imposed upon this country. Whomever will make a stand for it, I don't care what they call themselves, then that's what I'm going to vote for because that's the only voice I have in politics. But as pertains to me being a man of God... I am not going to bless those things that don't have the fruit of righteousness. I will call them what they are. And so we walk in that duplicity, don't we? Don't get caught up in your identity, getting mistaken for the unrighteousness of God. You are the righteousness of God. And don't call something righteous that's not righteous. Don't dare fear God less and put that on his name. He paid an ultimate price for us, for it. And so I say that to you because we can still be the people we need to be in our causes, but we don't need to be blind. And we don't need to just 
ignore everything that's not right. We're supposed to be a voice all the time. A voice crying out in the wilderness to prepare the way for the coming of the Lord. Not one that has to judge. But let me say something to you. One that stands in the righteousness of God with all humility, integrity, and purity. Tried and tested in the word of God. So, having said that, let me go further. Paul says in Philippians 3, chapter 12, Not that I have already obtained all of this, or have already arrived at my goal, but I press on to take hold of that for which Jesus Christ took hold of me. Brothers and sisters, I do not consider myself to yet have taken hold of it, but one thing I do. Beloved, turn to somebody and say, but one thing I do. But one thing I do, forgetting what is behind and straining toward what is ahead, I press on toward the goal to win the prize for which God has called me heavenward in Christ Jesus. What is our goal? Heavenward in Christ Jesus. That's our goal. If I wanted to be a politician, I would have run for an office in this local area. With my mouth, I might have won. With my boldness, I'd be a formidable foe. With my courage, I'd be dangerous. I'm not a politician. But you and I, we are people of God. That's the highest calling there is. We serve God. And because we serve God, He trusts us to serve mankind. What do we serve them? The fruits of the righteousness of God. That's what we serve. Something that's a different diet than they get in the world. Amen? And so, Paul says, I'm striving forward. I'm moving on. I'm going. And we need to follow his example. Proverbs 3, verses 5 and 6. Trust in the Lord with all your heart. Don't lean unto your own understanding, but in all your ways acknowledge Him, and He shall direct your paths. In all your ways, all your ways, all your ways, say all your ways. Acknowledge Him, and He shall direct your path. You know why I'm feeling good about myself in the Lord right now? Not because of anything I've done, but I can honestly say I'm acknowledging Him in everything that I do. So God's directing my paths. Sometimes they don't get me where I want to go as fast as I want to get there. Sometimes I go a different place than I thought I was going. Sometimes I'm wondering, is my foot going forward or is it going backwards? Sometimes I'm wondering, I'm wondering, I'm wondering, and then I say, wait a minute, I'm going to acknowledge God because the steps of the righteous man are perfectly ordered. And I'm righteous, not because of what I've done or haven't done, but because who he is. Because he's Jesus Christ and his righteousness is in me. And because his righteousness is in me, I don't have to have a faith under righteousness anymore. I have a faith that lives in my righteousness. I have all faith because I'm the righteousness of God in Jesus Christ. I don't have to work at faith anymore. I have to just acknowledge my righteousness, live in it, and let my righteousness work my faith. Did you get it? Faith to believe in Jesus. Absolutely, we cross the line. That's a big gulf. You leap it. However any one of us got there, and all of our stories are different. And they're all unique in God. We came to Jesus. Once we came to Jesus, something wonderful happened. The blood of Jesus cleansed us, not covered us. Like in times of old. Like in the Passover. With the lamb over the doorstep. The blood of the lamb. No, no cleansed us. And once we were cleansed, we became justified. 
righteous in God. And the righteousness of Christ is imparted into us. And we are made righteousness, not accounted unto righteousness. It says in the scriptures in Romans that it was accounted unto Abraham for righteousness because he believed. That God was able to bring death, life back into death. Even the death of Sarah's womb or the death of his son Isaac. It was accounted to him for righteousness. Beloved, you want more than what Abraham, he had an account for righteousness. You are made righteousness. There's two different kinds of righteousness. One is legal and one is vivid. Vivid means it's alive. It means that it's essential. It means that it's working right now. It has life to it. Legal means that somehow you satisfied a requirement. And so because of that, you've been adjudicated. We don't want to be adjudicated. That's why I don't want to harp on it. But no one's going to put adjudication on me. I am never going to say that I have to argue my case before God. Never, because Jesus already did it. If I do that, I'm putting one more step between me and him. Jesus said it. I believe it. It is done. I receive it. I am who he says I am. And because I am who he says I am, I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. My steps are perfectly ordered in the present now and now. My Father who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come here on earth. Why do I want to go to heaven when the kingdom's here on earth? I don't need to go to heaven and ask God what to do. God says, hey, I'm here. You want to move a mountain, move it, son. Don't ask me if you can move it. Without faith, you don't please God. But I don't need to work on my faith only if someone tells me and convinces me, i got to keep working greater faith. i got to keep... No, Jesus did it once and for all. And when that consciousness, that righteousness, consciousness, comes clear to us and becomes our lifestyle, our divine nature, you quit working at faith and your righteousness is doing the faith for you. Hi, hey! You don't need to come up with big, eloquent prayers and, and, and read God His own Word and tell Him over and over what He already knows. You need to say it, declare it, speak to that mountain, and it shall be moved. Because what's coming out of your mouth is the very righteousness power of God. It's not your words. It's only your words if you make them your words. It's only your faith if you make it your faith. I'd rather have the faith of Jesus Christ working for me than my faith. Because let me tell you, I used to walk around and say, Lord, give me greater faith. Give me greater faith. Give me greater faith. And yes, when things are tried and true, we build upon that faith. But that's an account for righteousness. I don't want an account for faith. I want absolute faith in everything that God has. Speak to the dead and they'll come alive. Curse that disease and it will go. It's not because of who I am. It's because of who he is. And that's where we need to be. We need that righteousness consciousness. 2 Corinthians 5.21. I say it. I'll keep saying it. This is foundational. He was made sin who had never sinned that we might be made the righteousness of God in Jesus Christ. Do you know where works is caught up in? The law. Works is caught up in the law. And Paul was very clear. Don't try to get your righteousness by works anymore. That was accounted for righteousness. We have a better way. It's called the righteousness of God in Jesus Christ. But religion wants to keep us working. And unfortunately, the business of the ministry is to keep people on the hook. Huh? Keep people, come on. Partners. I'm so tired about hearing about partners in ministry. Are you really a partner? 
Huh? Quit giving the money and see what happens. They're going to waste a few more postage stamps on you. Then they rift them out after six months. Oh, they ain't giving. They ain't giving. We're not going to wait. Hey, partner. Hi, partner. Who are you? Well, you know. It's like people used to tell me their spiritual father was somebody they have on television. I'd say, well, do they know you? No. But I receive from them. Oh, you do. But that's your spiritual father. They don't know you. They don't pray for you. They don't love you. They don't care about you. You can't access to them. But that's your father. I feel sorry for you. People do that because they buy into the business of the ministry. God wants us to buy out of the business of the ministry. His son came so that we would have life and life more abundantly. And it's time for us to grab what is ours and to live life abundantly because of his righteousness. Let me move on quickly, please. I'm trying. How about this age-old story? You've heard it before. I want to give it to you again. And I'm only going to probably get a little past this, and I'm going to draw a line, and I really do want to continue on where I was at because it's pretty good. <laughs> How about, remember the survivor, the castaway on an island? He's cast away on an island, and by the way, there was one, was it, in 2016? Some guy was fishing. He got caught out there, and, and, a, and, a, and a boat found him sitting on an island. I was thinking about that, that story, and that guy and said he was about 12 hours away from dying because he was dehydrated. Here's a castaway on an island. He's a survivor. He's the only one left. He's tried and waited and waited. Nothing happened. So it becomes his lifestyle to live on that island. He figures out how to fish. He figures out how to get some fresh water off the dew. He makes himself a little hut. And in the hut, he begins to collect some possessions for his own comfort level because he was determined that was his lifestyle. And he's out fishing one day with a thing that he made, and he comes back, and his hut burned up. And he sees the smoke billowing up into the sky, and he crawls on his knees. He says, God, why did you do this to me? I've been here. I finally have something of my own, my own, my own here, and it's burned up and it's gone. He lays in the rubble, worn out, despondent, wondering if he even has the ability to rebuild something again on the island, wondering if it's now time for him to just chuck it in and swim out into the ocean and die. And in the middle of the night, just as it comes at dawn, he hears a ship horn. Honk, honk. And he goes to the beach and he begins to wave and they go honk, honk. And the lifeboats come in and pick him up. And he said, how did you find me here? They said, we saw the smoke that came up. That's why we know, Romans 8, 28, all things work together for good to those who love God and are called according to Jesus. When you're in the righteousness of Christ, it may look like a problem that you can't surmount. You don't deserve it. You didn't anticipate it. In according to the laws of mankind and nature, it's insurmountable. But according to the righteousness of the grace of faith of Jesus Christ, you already have it. Whether it's bad and discouraging, a disappointment, no matter what it is, it has to work for your good because the word of God says so. Because Jesus Christ paid the full price. It's not a matter of what you say or don't say, how good your faith is or your faith isn't. The easiest thing is to fall back and say, Jesus, you do it. Thank you, Lord. I receive it. And to rest in that consciousness. Sin consciousness is all right here. The devil wants to beat us in our mind. 
He wants to beat us with our problem. He wants to beat us with our fears. He wants to beat us with our anxieties. He wants to beat you with your past. But God says all things have passed away and all things are made new. You're a new creation and that new divine nature that's in you and in me is called His glory and in that glory it is systemic with His righteousness. And I'm going to end with this little thought. We need to rest steadfast in the faith of our righteousness. I was pondering early this morning about how could I best explain having a consciousness that allows righteousness to work for us, the righteousness of God. So you understand, your righteousness isn't just a title. It's not just, it is a position, but it's not just a position. Your righteousness is actually the divine nature of God, His righteousness in you. Do you understand that? It's systemic in you. It's substance inside of you. If you cut your, your, your veins and you bleed out, the life in the blood kills the body. If you plug up your righteousness, then the eternal life mechanism of Jesus Christ in you is not flowing. We can plug it up many ways. Most of the ways we do it is by self. I need to do this. I'm going to do that. I'm not going to do that. I don't want to hear this. I'm not going any further. I'm throwing the towel in. I'm giving up. God is still there, but you got to open the veins up again. So I said, Lord, what is... I've often said to you that science and the manifestations of creation here on earth are a mirrored image of creation, right? The Creator created them. And He did things according to His goodness. Oh, that's good. He created the earth. Ooh, that's good. He created the water. Oh, it's good. The fishes, the animals, and human beings. Ooh, they're good. It was good. If it's good to God, then he's giving us a little inkling of what he likes and maybe, just maybe, what eternal creation is like. None of it's a wasted time. So DDA, remember DDA? Unlocking the mystery of the DDA. And, and uh, DNA, I'm sorry, unlocking the, the mysteries of the body of the DNA so that we can begin to determine what constitutes something. What are the chromosomes that make up somebody? Is there identity in those chromosomes? What can we do to affect something to be better in their life or worse in their life? How do we make test tube babies? How do we, everything was in the DNA. So I said, Lord, show me something in our body system that I can correlate to righteousness. And this is what I considered, the wonder of the body physiologically. There's something called, how many of you know what it's called? The autonomic nervous system. Do you know what it is? Well, I'm going to help you out. It's a control system. And it says that it acts largely, listen to me, unconsciously. Largely unconsciously. Underline that in your mindset. And it regulates the body functions, such as the heart rate, the digestion, respiratory rate, the pupillary response, urination, and even sexual arousement. All of this happens. It happens in a way that is autonomic. Your nervous system has been wired, and it has a, an interrelationship with those other functions of your body. When it's out of whack, your body feels out of whack. When it's in whack, your body's in whack. You get dehydrated, the system is out of whack. And so you have the sympathetic and the parasympathetic system. And once the sympathetic is responding to those out-of-whack things, you're out-of-whack. That's what happens when we're out-of-whack in righteousness.
It has a substance to it. Now the substance that makes up all of these things in, in the autonomic system is a combination of molecules. And, 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 and think of this. Now I know I'm getting scientific, but I'm going to get you right there and you're going to say, ooh, that's good. A pure chemical compound is what? It's called a chemical substance. Faith is the substance of things hoped for, the evidence of which is not seen. Faith has some compounds. Faith has substance, but it's spiritual. It's spiritual. So if faith is to have substance, and God gave us this wonder of science to figure out compounds that have substance, very interesting. When these sets of molecules or ions come together and they're chemically bonded, there's something called a reaction. And there's something that's made. This one is the most important one that's made that you need every day. Pastor Barney will tell you all about it. Called water. Right? Those molecules come together, those ions come together, it gives you a substance called water that comes from the compound of the substance that makes it. Faith has compounds. And those compounds are what make it move spiritually for you. It's not DNA, it's DDA. The divine design attributes of God. And within those divine design attributes of God, there's a chemical reaction, a spiritual reaction, forgive me, that happens when those compounds intermingle. It took faith to bring us to Jesus. It took the blood to cleanse us and make our way. It's the righteousness of God compounded with the faith and merged through the blood that gives us the power of life eternal in the now. Righteousness, righteousness no longer needs faith to believe. Faith is embellished in the compound, the spiritual compound of righteousness. Now, if you can't believe in righteousness today, then yes, you need more faith to believe it in tomorrow. How about we just settle the issue and say, I believe I'm the righteousness of God. Can you do that? I'm the righteousness of God. Do you have to keep convincing yourself Jesus Christ is Savior? I hope not. I hope not. Boy, I didn't get a big resounding yes on that one. I hope not. You've accepted Christ. It's finished. It's done. You're saved. Accept your righteousness. It's finished, it's imparted, and it's working in you. You don't need faith to believe in righteousness anymore. You're not looking for an account of faith to please God. You're looking for the righteousness of God to have that faith revelation that His righteousness is doing everything for you right now. Now, I'm not telling you not to exercise faith because your righteousness will unconsciously keep the heart beating. Your righteousness will unconsciously keep the declarations coming. Your righteousness will undoubtedly keep your worship in spirit and truth. Your righteousness undoubtedly will continue to give you fresh revelation. Your righteousness will continue to bring healing. If the same spirit that raised him from the dead dwells in you, then he will, mort he will bring life, life to your body. He will mortify your body. He will make you strong because of the righteousness of God. God so loved the world that He gave us His only Son. And it's the righteousness of Christ in us that makes us who we are. I'm going to stop it right there. And I would like you to meditate upon the things that have been shared with you this morning. Um, you most likely are never going to just get a motivational sermon out of me. Sorry. I could do it. And I know pastors and ministers who choose to go out in the motivational circuit to get paid instead of to teach the Word of God or to teach the Word of God in motivational circuits. Whatever God gives them, I'm not one of them.
I'm not that person. Who I am, I quest God with all I have, my hunger, my thirst for more revelation of who God is, not just for me, but for the body of Christ. And I'm not afraid to put my foot out in the things that are of God. Can you imagine if Martin Luther had never gotten the revelation that just shall live by faith? He went through a lot of persecution and brought in the Protestant Reformation. It attacked the biggest hierarchy of religion on earth at that time, the Catholic Church. But he said the just shall live by faith, and he didn't have this same revelation that you're getting right now. He only took it so far. What he took it for was, wait a minute, we're already just. I don't need religion. I need Christ. But we have that revelation that that righteousness of God is working in you in an autonomic system all the time in everything that God has for you. And so I, if you get nothing out of this, please meditate on this, that Christ is working in you for your good all the time. Rest in that. Rest in that. I don't know about you, but I'm tired, tired of people telling me I need more faith for stuff. I'm tired of it because then it means it's on me. And guess what? If it's on me, I'm probably going to fail. And I'm going to wear out working at it so hard. We can work so hard at the things of faith of God that we never rest. But that's not what God's telling us to do. He says, tomorrow take care of itself. Just take care of today. Plans get shattered, but do they really? Or has God done us a favor? All things do work together for those who love God. Don't be discouraged. Be encouraged. Not because of yourself, but because of what you believe and have accepted. The righteousness of God in Jesus Christ. No matter what you've experienced, it will make you better as you go on in life and do the things of God if, if, if you transform it through the righteousness of Jesus Christ. Amen.